Please remain standing as you're able. Uh, I would uh, let you know that the scripture reading is a bit long, so also attend uh, to your comfort uh, as well. But as we come before God's word, let us do so very likely as Jesus and the disciples would have reciting uh, what he came to call the great commandment, but in Hebrew known as the Shema. Would you follow after me? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from the 21st chapter of Luke. We pick up in verse 5. Some of the disciples were there remarking on the beautiful stones in the temple and the great uh, gifts that had been dedicated to God. And Jesus said, what you are looking at will not uh, be there. I tell you that one stone will be on top of another and every stone will be thrown down. Teacher, they replied, when will this happen and what will be the signs that it is about to take place? And Jesus said, watch out then and do not be deceived for many will come in my name and say, I am he or the end is near. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. For these things must all take place, but the end will not be at that time. And nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes and there uh, will be a famines and pestilences of various kinds, and there will be great and fearful events in the heavens. And they will seize you and persecute you, and they will take you before synagogues, and they will put you in prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors on account of me. This is your time to bear testimony to me. But do not worry beforehand about what you are to say in defense, for I will give you words and wisdom that your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Getting the punchline, make sure I get it right. (laughs) You will be betrayed by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and some of you will even taste death. Everyone will hate you on account of me, but not a hair on your head shall perish. If you stand firm, you will gain life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, the responses from my um, politically interested and religiously interested Facebook friends uh, were pretty predictable on Wednesday morning and all day Wednesday. On the one side, there were my friends who declared that the result of the election was an answered prayer and that God's values had triumphed and now would be established in the land. And then there were others of my friends who, looking at the same event, declared now that the end was soon to be near and that we were doomed and God had basically vacated this country. Now, 
such extreme and intense positions, not only among our friends, but within each of us, should not be surprising. My wife was listening to NPR the day after the election. One of the commentators uh, made this, I think, very telling observation. He said, politics has become the new religion. And so it's no wonder that we feel them so intensely. But here's what I'd like to do this morning. I would like for you to give me a chance for our old religion, the Christian faith and the scriptures, to say a few words to our new religion, the politics uh, that uh, we swear to, whether it be, swear allegiance to, whether it be one side or the other. And let me just summarize it for you straight ahead. For those of you who believe that God's kingdom has come with this election, the Bible would say not so fast. And for those of you who believe that surely this election is a sign of the end, the Bible would say, not so fast. I believe that there's a very instructive uh, illustration in the Bible. It happens in the um, book of Luke in the 21st chapter. And Jesus and his disciples are gathered around the temple. Now, as Roger mentioned, this is the second temple. This, the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed by the Babylonians about 600 years before Jesus. This is the one that Herod rebuilt. Built it in between 18 months and three years, but they tinkered with it and did all sorts of minor things that they were building on it, says uh, the scriptures, for at least 46 years. There's some evidence that it wasn't really completed till about the time that Paul died. But what I want you to know is the temple was extremely impressive. I'm going to show you a picture of it now on the screen. And let me uh, describe a little bit about why the temple was so impressive. First thing is the temple was built on a raised area known as the Temple Mount, which included space for the temple, but also included um, uh, space for other buildings as well. The Temple Mount was 20 stories high. The walls around the Temple Mount were 46 feet thick. The foundation stones of the temple, archaeologists have discovered, some are as big as 643 metric tons. Now, how that got hauled up a 20-story hill and put into place beats me. But you begin to get a sense of how impressive the temple was. This is what Josephus says a few years after the temple was destroyed. He said, because of the marble... That when the sun was blazing hot and shining on the temple, you couldn't look at it because it would hurt your eyes. And then he said you could be in a boat uh, just offshore in the Mediterranean Sea, 17 miles away, and you could look and see the temple gleaming so white it looked like a snow-covered mountain. And that's just the marble. And then there was the gold. And then the large bronze gate the expensing furnishings. The temple was big. It was massive. It was built to last. And so on occasion of being at this wonderful uh, place in front of this wonderful building, the disciples decide this was time to sort of give testimony to how wonderful the temple is and give testimony to how, how great God must be to have this kind of great temple. But while they're praising this building, it's almost as if, metaphorically, Jesus has taken out the yellow tape. You've seen the yellow tape, right? And uh, when there has been a flood, a quake, or fire, and the city or the officials decide that no one should enter that building because it's about to fall down, it's almost as if Jesus takes a big X over that temple and says to them, this thing is coming down. What a shock that must have been because God had... Surely, 
protected that temple. As long as the temple stood, surely the faith of the Jews would stand in place. And yet Jesus looked at this magnificent building, and while they were giving testimony to how great the building was and how great God must be to have that kind of building, Jesus was telling them, this might not be the time for that testimony. The temple might not be everything that you think that it is. Now, this might be a good time for just a quick side route, which is, why on earth would God have ever allowed the temple to come down? The temple was supposed to be a place where heaven and earth met. And there you could come to the temple and you would meet God's presence and you would worship God. Well, it's hard to know everything that's going on, but it seems to me that part of what happened at the temple was people began to worship the temple and not the God that they were supposed to meet there. Soon people's trust became in the temple and in its uh, mechanics and machinery and the uh, the functions that were carried out on a daily basis. And surely if we carry those out, then God will preserve and protect us. Surely if we're doing this, then God must be sitting securely on the throne. And it had come that people actually were no longer in some ways worshiping and meeting God there. They were rather instead worshiping the building and the power behind that building that was keeping that building going. And I think that that's instructive to us whenever we begin to think that some institution, whether it be a country or a political party or a church, represents the best that God has to offer and actually, um, and actually is worthy of the kind of attention that only goes to God, should go to God, we should be concerned about that. Um, it seems to me that a better thing to do when you're on top of the world and think that God has somehow vindicated you and God is sitting firmly on the throne because of what's going on in your life or your world, that might be a time, Jesus said, rather than to testify and brag about it, it might be time to ask a few questions, such as, is this really what I think it is? And am I worshiping God or am I worshiping this building, this institution, this person? who might represent God to me. There, was a great, uh, there is a great theologian, at Yale Milosav Wolf, and during this election week, he tweeted out that for every Christian, there are two questions they should ask themselves. The first question is, who do I trust in, or what do I trust in, really? And what do I love, ultimately? Because what had happened in the temple is they'd begun to trust the temple, not the God that they were to meet in the temple. As, uh, as uh, theologian N.T. Wright puts it, what Jesus basically said is, if, if I am right, then the temple's wrong. Because you no longer meet God in a building, but you meet God in me, Jesus said. And so one of the questions we have to ask is, when we lift up something so highly and value it so much in our life, are we placing that in the place of God? Are we trusting in that? Are we trusting in an outcome rather than in God? And the second thing that happened in the temple was uh, Jesus um, certainly knew, as the prophets had said, my house, this temple will be a place of prayer for all nations. But by the time this thing is built, if you are not a Jew, if you're a Gentile, you can only come just so close to the temple. But let's say you're a Jew, but you're a woman. You can only come just a little bit closer. And if you have some sort of disease or infirmity, forget about it. You're not even getting as far as the Gentiles. You're not even getting 
on the Temple Mount. And this building that was supposed to represent meeting God became a very narrow picture of God. And soon most of the nations weren't invited to worship. Most of the nations were excluded from worship. If Jesus was right, the temple was wrong. And so it seems to me that when we think that our particular institution, our candidate, our our particular uh, view, position, or ideology is God's will and is triumphing in this day, we might want to call time out for a moment and say, is this really about God or am I trusting in something else other than God? And then to say, is this picture that I'm painting, is it a narrower picture than the picture God is painting for God's world? Now, please note, The irony of me talking about the temple crashing on the day we feature our building, talking about stewardship, is not lost on me. But anytime we put a building, a person, a stand, a party, a candidate, a nation in front of God, Jesus is going to tell us, time out. You might be out of bounds. Well, what about the other side of this? We have another picture. Turns out Jesus was absolutely correct about what would happen to the temple. And this is what it looks like today. There's the wall that would have uh, surrounded the temple. And those stones, that's the temple. Jesus said they would be thrown down one on top of another. And they are gathered in heaps and scattered in different places. And archaeologists are still on occasion finding interesting pieces to the temple What Jesus said would happen, did happen. And the disciples, or the uh, ones that might have been uh, uh, reflecting on it, who even dared to believe Jesus was right, must have been stunned. If If the temple collapsed, surely it meant that God had left the building, that God had left town, that God had left our country. And so you would naturally think this is the time to ask the question, where is God and does God care anymore? And Jesus turns that on his head. And Jesus said, when this happens, when the world that seems so settled for you falls apart, Jesus said, now's not the time for questions. Now's the time for testimony. It's a strange thing when your world seems all together and and everything seems to be going the way that you've told God it should go. Jesus says, wait a minute. You should ask some questions about that. And then when your world falls apart and it just looks like God is nowhere in the picture, Jesus says, wait a minute. That's when you will bear testimony to me. That's when you'll talk about your faith in God. At the most difficult time when we're tempted to question, Jesus said, it might be our time for testimony and witness. And I know that seems odd because you're in such a strange space when your world falls apart and you're waiting for whatever is going to come next. As some of you know, my wife and I have a new puppy And uh, so occasionally I have puppy stories. If you're tired of that, I can switch to my cat when I get his permission. But but one of the things that my wife is doing is trying to train the puppy. And one of the things you train the puppy in is wait. And then you make the puppy wait longer and longer. You get further and further from the puppy. And my wife says that our puppy does pretty well until our puppy cannot see my wife's face. She either turns her back on the puppy or goes around the corner into another room, and then all bets are off. And loose goes the puppy. That's what waiting is about. Waiting is that time when we don't really think we can see God's face. And the temptation for us will be to to moan and groan and, and protest and say, where is God? 
How could God let this happen? And Jesus says, no, no. In the midst of your pain and difficulty, now's the time for you to say, I know that God is here. In the midst of this, I will testify to God. Uh, And then I thought about how that really could work in life. I thought about um, years ago when they used to have those Christian television talk shows. A lot of them had disappeared, and I think that's probably better for the faith. But um, I'm sorry. Sermon should probably disappear as well. Um, there's, there's this uh, talk show, and a wonderful couple is talking about how they've got this successful business, but, but, but they prayed to God to make their business even bigger so they could become more successful. And, and, uh, and, and they were testifying at how that had worked. And their business had expanded beyond their wildest dreams. And this is what one of them said. She said, you know, we're doing so well that now we've joined the local country club and we're meeting a whole new group of people that we can win to Jesus. I was not moved by that testimony. But 15 years later, I walk into a circle of people that are holding candles. What these people's What these people have in common is it's the Christmas holiday. It's early December. Every one of them in the last several years has lost a child. They are not winning. Their world is not expanding. At the very moment you think they would question where on earth is God, they are coming together to testify that somewhere in the midst of this, we know that God is. Is present. Now, I don't know where you are or where you've been in this past week, but all I can tell you is when you're tempted to claim victory for God, call time out and see if it's really God that you're worshiping and claiming victory for. And when you're tempting to pronounce that God has left whatever situation you're in or your country or your world, call time out. And asked, has God really left? It might be a time not for questions then. It might actually be a time for testimony. But here's what's interesting to me. Jesus makes three kind of interesting uh, uh, prognostications about the future. And I don't believe Jesus is a fortune teller. I don't think that's the main thing he's doing here. But I do think it's interesting. First thing he says is the temple's going to fall down. Well... About 40 years after he said this, sure enough, it did. But the second thing he said is before that happens, they're going to arrest you. And some of you are going to be uh, arrested by the synagogue. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to go in front of kings. Some of you in front of governors. And when you read the book of Acts, it looks like that's exactly what happened. Jesus was right about the temple. He was right about what happened to them. So if I could put it kind of simply, Jesus is two for two. But he's got a third one. And he says, in spite of all these things that happen, some of you may die, but not one hair on your head will perish. Which is a way of saying, you will not lose your life. And another translation for life is your soul. No matter what happens, you will not be separated from me. And I just want to suggest if Jesus was two for two, is it quite possible that he's three for three? And no matter what happens in our life and in our world, it's not going to separate us from his love and from his presence. 
a few of us are reading a book uh, about the spiritual life, and it's using as an example a great teacher who passed away recently. His name is Dallas Willard, taught philosophy at the University of Southern California, a great Christian. Um, and one of the things he used to say is the gospel means this, that the universe is a perfectly safe place in which to exist. Now, that was going to be put to a test in his life because he got a very terrible form of cancer. His situation deteriorated. It scared the people around him. And one of his um, uh, people who studied under him was lamenting his situation. And this was his response to his student. He said, this will test your joyful confidence in God. Because he had his joyful confidence. He believed that this universe was a perfectly safe place to exist. That in fact, not one hair on his head would perish. As Dallas prepared to pass from death into life, there was one friend in the room with him with the phone camera running. And he actually captured those moments when Dallas seemed to pass to the other side. But what was interesting is is on the recording you can hear the last words of Dallas Willard and they are these. Thank you. Thank you. And the guy that filmed it said... He wasn't talking to me. To whom was he talking? Could it have been that he met the great cloud of witnesses, those who had gone before him in his life? And he was meeting them and they were receiving him and he was grateful? Or could it be that he was actually seeing the face of the Father himself? And for that he was grateful. I don't know. I only know that he did not lose his soul. And neither will you, and neither will I.